Welcome to Amped Up. This is your host, Ryan Knight. And our guest today, we've got two guests, are the authors of the Yes Queen Chronicles. Uh, please welcome Joy Marie Mann and Patrick Cody. Uh, Joy is also, she's an activist and the host of the Unruly Hour with Savage Joy on Uphill Media. And Pat is an activist and a journalist. Uh, Joy and Pat, welcome to Amped Up. Thank you so much, Ryan. I loved having you on my show a few times and glad to now be on yours. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a show, but it's great to be here. And uh, it's been great fighting the neoliberals online with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, look, I can't wait to talk about the book uh, in the second half of the podcast because it is fucking hilarious uh, and very timely, a uh, very timely subject matter, uh, this book. Uh, but first, you know, we have to kind of talk about the matter at hand. Um, you know, after four days of counting votes uh, that seemed to be more like 45 days, but <laughs> after four days of counting, it looks like Joe Biden uh, is going to be the next president of the United States. He's taken the lead in Pennsylvania and Georgia. Um, but this was not the blue wave that it should have been. Right. Democrats lost seats in the House. Uh, Democrats didn't flip the Senate, even though the map favored them. And Trump, here's a stat that I think is so startling. Trump won the highest share of non-white voters of any Republican in 60 years. You know, this election should have been a landslide. And I think it would have been a landslide had Democrats actually offered the American people something besides Trump bad and everyone who doesn't agree with me is a Russian bot or a racist. What is your reaction to Democrats underperforming uh, in down-ballot races, especially after all the, of their fear mongering during the primary, you know, there, there was one Democrat said, if Bernie is the nominee, that it would result in down ballot carnage. Uh, because as it turns out, uh, Joe Biden's uninspiring neoliberal corporatism actually resulted in down ballot carnage this, this, this election cycle. Yeah, it's been 100% gaslighting from the Democratic Party. I mean, if you look at just the exit polls alone on health care, 72% of people in this country, that's Democrats, Republicans, and independents, said they support a government-run health care system. And the message from the Democratic Party this entire time is you can't win running on Medicare for all, which is complete nonsense. And, you know, government-run health care was popular in states that went Trump. Yeah, I mean, it totally does show a lack of just message discipline and also that Democrats chose to cater to their corporate donors, who one of them is the giant insurance companies, uh, instead yeah. of actually fighting for Medicare for all, which the American people want and need and deserve, especially during a pandemic when millions of Americans are losing their health care. Right. And Trump's, you know, the Democrats only main message was that, you know, Trump bad, Trump racist. And meanwhile, after four years of the most openly racist president in my lifetime, at least, he just doubled his minority support. Right. You know, and in 2016, he was kind of an unknown, you know, a guy that threw a grenade into the system and people voted for that just because they were really upset with how our politicians are, are not looking out for working people. Um, but now we know who he is and he doubled his minority support, <laughs> which just is a, a failure on the Democratic Party that you've got the worst president in, in my lifetime who's literally killing millions of, or hundreds of thousands of people because of his lack of a, a sane response to COVID. And here he does as he improves in a lot of ways. And, 
And, you know, honestly, if the Democrats really wanted to take back the Senate, they could have. There were a lot of down-ballot candidates they could have supported that the DCCC didn't give a, a, a nod to at all. They put all, all their energy into unwinnable seats like Amy McGrath against Mitch McConnell. I mean, $100 million for her to try to beat Mitch McConnell, which was never going to happen. And absolutely nothing into Paula Jean Swearingen in a race that could have been close with the party support. It's just, it's, it's really disgusting. Yeah, I think, you know, listening to, um, it, you know, my, my comrades who are African-American and uh, Latino um, and indigenous, you know, something they're pointing out is that, um, you know, the reason that Trump got more um, people of color to vote for him is because Biden, out of all the people, he chose a cop to run as his VP when there are thousands of people still in the streets he literally chose a cop. This is a man who created the crime bill. He takes for-profit prison money. Um, he is responsible for putting countless Black people in jail. Um, and you take that and the fact that he said he wants to expand police and the fact that he's proudly anti um, defund the police. Um, and you take Trump, who is, you know, basically has no history of that. Yes, he is absolute garbage. But Trump says, or excuse me, Biden says things like, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. How does that take, uh, you know, put confidence in black voters? How does that inspire them? Um, Joe Biden has stated countless racist things um, from, you know, cockroaches and, you know, corn pop and, um, you know, just just incredible things. Um, he told a, a gentleman who stood up and, and said that, um, you know, he wanted to ask about being an immigrant and all the deportations they did um, under Obama. And he literally told him, go vote for Trump twice. Yeah. Now, I'm happy our campaign actually hired the gentleman after that. But Joe Biden has told so many people not to vote for him. I've never seen such a thing in my life. You don't support fracking? Go vote for someone else. You believe Tara Reid? Go vote for someone else. It would, I mean, that countless times he said that, and now he's shocked that it's close. He offered us nothing, absolutely nothing. He actually not only didn't even offer us breadcrumbs, he actually insulted us many times. Socialist this, and um, he even called us Bernie bros. Things like that. He disrespected our, you know, many of our heroes who is literally risking his life going state to state for him. And not only does he not even give him props, he straight up disrespects him and all his supporters. Um, I've known this was going to happen over a year. Mm. Many of us have. Um, I knew if Trump was going to win, it 
or excuse me, Biden was going to win. It was going to be so razor thin. Um, but people decided that that wasn't the case and he didn't need to make any concessions. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I, I, I myself is just an outspoken, you know, activist. I right after Joe Biden got the nomination, um, you know, as someone who had endorsed Bernie and passionately supported Bernie, you know, I told the campaign very clearly, uh, just both online and I even reached out to someone from their campaign telling them that, like, we are in a moment of massive levels of injustice and inequality. And this cannot be a traditional election where the Democrats, you know, pivot to the center and, and pivot to the right to kind of win over moderate Republicans and completely take the left for granted. I'm like, you guys need to move to move left, you know, not just to win the election, but to, to help people's lives who are struggling. You know, you need to move left to Medicare for all because, you know, people don't have health care uh, during a pandemic. You need to move left to a Green New Deal because we're in a climate crisis. You know, you need to move left toward, you know, defunding the police and shifting resources into black and brown communities because we are in a racial injustice crisis. But their campaign didn't want to hear any of it. In fact, what happened was their campaign attacked people. You know, their camp one of his campaign surrogates attacked me multiple times on Twitter uh, just because I was calling on, this was before I said that I wasn't even going to vote for Biden. You know, this is like back in May, in June, where I was still giving them uh, opportunities to earn our vote, you know, earn Bernie supporters votes, you know, and I remember I went on your show, Joy, and said that, like, if you don't earn our, you know, if you don't make concessions to the left, if you think you can take us for granted, that, like, you're not going to get my vote. And, uh, you know, there that was controversial. But, you know, it's like politicians job is to go out there and earn our vote. And when this many people are struggling, you're going to peddle the same neoliberal status quo that got us here. Like, that's not going to cut it in this moment. That's not going to fly. And I think it's just all the more proof that, I mean, you know, the Dems are, the establishment Dems are are completely okay with Trump in power because their lives are not going to change. They're still going to be rich. They're still going to be blame, uh, going to be able to blame uh, every single thing on Trump and not have any accountability. Yeah. You know, and like the way I look at it, like, Joe Biden is going to be the next president. But if liberals go back to brunch and ignore the massive levels of inequality and injustice in this nation, then another neo-fascist will rise to power in 2024. You know, neoliberalism paves the way for neo-fascism. So this vicious cycle will continue until we defeat both. You know, Trump was always just a symptom of our corrupt system. So if you think that just getting rid of him is going to magically fix everything, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. Uh, Patton, do you think that liberals and corporate Democrats are still completely asleep to the crises that we face as a nation? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give them that much credit. I, they're not asleep. They're, they know that the country needs these policies. Hmm. They're not allowed to promote these policies. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got what forty million people just lost their jobs. Um, due to coronavirus and you know Joe Biden is still pushing for a system that that your health insurance is tied to your employment he wants to expand the affordable care act and then expand uh, cobra the most literally the most expensive healthcare system in the world and you know how are all these people that lo just lost their jobs going to pay for cobra 
it's it's just not feasible you know so the party would rather stop of all the things they would rather stop medicare for all than than have a democrat in power if they had to choose and that's just it comes down to the donors you know the the yep. the same donors fund both parties yep um you know and the people that aren't running for office that that are sort of the democratic insiders you know in the consultant class they all push these narratives to all their down ballot candidates that running on Medicare for all is a losing issue when it isn't a losing issue. It's a winning issue. I mean, even the Demo even the Republican Party funded the Mercatus study. And the goal of the study, since it's a Republican study, was to come to a conclusion that Medicare for all cost us a lot of money. And it, it found out, you know, their own study revealed that it actually saves a ton of money. So, you know, the evidence is out there and, and people don't buy it anymore. Like the exit polls prove it people support a government run healthcare system. And so now the next the next 2 weeks will be entirely focused on Georgia probably because we've got two senate race runoffs there. So the Democrats actually have a chance to to uh to take back or at least tie the Senate and you know that's where everyone's energy is going to end up soon. Um for John Oss Ossoff and um uh Reverend Raphael Warnock. Uh, but anyway, so what are they doing already there in Georgia? You got Clyburn, the uh, kingmaker who, who pushed <laughs> Biden over the top. He's out there saying Democrats can't win those races if they run on health care. So he's already pushing the narrative that socialism hurts us and helping poor people with Medicare for all would be bad for the party. Yeah, you, you just let off the next segment, you know, in a post-election call uh, yesterday, Centrist House Democrats lashed out at progressive colleagues, blaming their far left views for costing the party seats. Uh, one of them said, uh, we need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism ever again. We lost good members because of that. Uh, this is Representative Abigail Spamberger, uh, who said that heatedly. Uh, Listen, we need to be very clear about this. Social policies like Medicare for all, a Green New Deal and universal basic income all have a higher approval rating than every Democrat and Republican in Congress. The only person who comes close to having as high of an approval rating as those social policies is Bernie Sanders, whose approval always hovers between 68 and 70 percent. Well, guess what? Medicare for all's approval rating is 72 percent. You know, the people want real social progress. They want policies that, that improve their material conditions, that, that help them. And yet we have these two corporate parties who are constantly using fear mongering. And, you know, look, I expect the Republicans to red bait and scare us away from socialism. But for the Democrats to cower and accept that framing and not fight back and say, like, that's absurd. You know, right now we live in a time where two billionaires own more wealth than half of our entire population. And you're going to fearmonger about socialism when it's predatory capitalism that is destroying our, our people, our planet, and our lives? Like, it's absurd to me. And so they, they, the Democrats accept this, this kind of fearmongering narrative and cower to it instead of fighting back and going out and educating the people about how these social policies benefit their lives. Uh, because like you said, Pat, they just want to keep catering to their corporate donors. So cowering to the Republicans kind of fear narrative actually is what the Democrats want to do because they don't want to support these policies because these policies help the people but hurt their corporate donors. Yeah. I mean, just imagine, take that 72% support for Medicare for all or government run healthcare 
And imagine how high that number would be if Democrats as a party were behind it. Exactly. Exactly. It would be it would be untenable to not support it in Congress. Yeah, agree. And, you know, one of the things that I typically say to to ignorant people like that is, do you have a social security card? If you do, you're a card carrying socialist. <laughs> if you don't want that money, let's put it in a pot. Your your unemployment, your um, your social security, your Medicare, anything like that, put it in a pot. There are plenty of poor people who would love to have it um, if you're that opposed to socialism. And also, you know, I, I they're so predictable. Like we know leftists are going to get blamed for everything. And one of the reasons I didn't vote for Biden is because I've watched for four years our comrades who went against everything they believed in and gave in and voted for Hillary the regret they have and the loss of respect for themselves they have and she didn't even win anyway and just because they're burners they automatically get accused of costing the election so why would i give in and vote for someone who disgusts me and who i'm gonna get blamed for not voting for anyway forget it not going to happen. And that's not the only reason I didn't vote for his ass, but it's certainly one of them. And we're seeing it happen again. Um, I knew that I'm in Pennsylvania, so I am in a swing state. So I get tons of uh, vote shaming. But I just started telling people, look, if Pennsylvania loses by one vote, I will literally stand before a firing squad. Literally because I know it's impossible. So you haven't done shit to get my vote. You don't deserve it. Like I wrote in Bernie and Nina Turner. <laughs> Hello, <you>. somebody. <laughs> Hello, somebody. They earned my vote. I don't know if they'd support that, but that, I mean, that's my choice. Um, Look, I, here's the thing. I'm with you. I did not vote for Joe Biden either. And it's the first time in 18 years of voting that I did not kind of, you know, blindly obey after the primary. You know, I did vote for Bernie in, in the 2016 primary, but like a good little obedient Democrat, I got right on board what, you know, for their corporatist candidate and the general and voted for Hillary in 2016. I had but no idea you voted for Bernie. I did. There was always a progressive fire in me, you guys. There was I always the progressive no fire. Idea. Oh yeah, I got in huge arguments with my boyfriend back even in 2016 on the couch because it was like, no, this is Hillary's coronation. And I'm like, no, I, this Bernie is talking truth right here. Like this country is is going downhill and, it, and it's greed and it's this you know, unregulated predatory capitalism that is destroying us. The problem though, and this is what I think people should realize is like even someone like me who related with Bernie's message in the primary in 2016, after he lost and then the, you know, after, you know, all the media was just like, yeah, you know, you did great Bernie, but like that's never going to happen here was kind of the message the corporate media put out and kind of the message that, you know, the, the Democratic establishment put out like great job, Bernie, but like Hillary's the one and like we all need to get on board. And even so, as someone who voted for Bernie back then, I kind of cowered to the fear mongering. I think 
as Pat said in the beginning of the show, the gaslighting, the gaslighting of the Democratic establishment and their partners at MSNBC and CNN is very strong. And it, and, it, and it's how they maintain the status quo in this country. And then I'll even take it a step further. Not only did I vote for Hillary in 2016, for the first two years until like 2018, the end of 2018, I bought into the whole narrative that, that she spun. You know, where she blamed everyone but herself for losing. You know, they blamed Russia. They blamed Jill Stein. They blamed Bernie supporters. They blamed Bernie, even though he campaigned and did 40 rallies for her. And and as someone like me who voted for Bernie in 2016, the only reason I'm sharing this is that is how powerful the propaganda is and how powerful the gaslighting is that it got me to like reject what in my heart I knew was the truth. And now, you know, once I realized that like that was all bullshit and that like we do deserve better and that this country needs radical, transformative, progressive change, if we are going to be a sustainable country and if we're going to keep this country and, and you know, moving forward, the path we are on right now is not sustainable. But that just shows how powerful it is because I felt I fell for it myself until the end of 2018. Now I'm like, there's no going back. Like I... The way I look at it and why I appreciate your perspective, Joy, and, and not compromising your values is what has compromising our progressive values ever gotten us? It's gotten us nothing. Because when you compromise with these with these corporatists, they just, they, they all they want is our votes. They want our votes without making any policy concessions. And so just like how Biden in this camp, in his general election campaign, they didn't make one major policy concession to the left. Now that he's won and he has power, do you really think you're going to move Joe Biden left? No, you're not going to. And so compromising with them has got us nothing because they want our votes. They don't actually care about our policies and, and, and actually helping working class and poor people in this country. And then also you see people like Miss Nina and Bravery Joy and Susan Sarandon who just get so much shit and they voted for Biden. Yep. And they're still getting shit. They're still being harassed. They're still being bullied, even though they did. And that's what's so frustrating because you were an enemy in 2016. You are always going to be an enemy. Let's not talk about the fact that Hillary literally asked Trump to run. That's okay. Right. Well, and, and going back to kind of the 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 whole premise that the reason uh, Democrats performed poorly in down ballot races was because of the progressives. The facts actually don't bear that out. Um, DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, they won 28 of 37 national races and they won eight of nine major ballot initiatives, all written and organized by local DSA chapters. DSA also helped expand the squad by electing Cory Bush to the House and now have Democratic Socialist caucuses in 14 state houses. So if we compare that to you know, how the corporatists did, look, Democrats spent $90 million to lose to Mitch McConnell, they spent $100 million to lose to Lindsey Graham, and they spent $69 million to lose to Susan Collins. Those are three of the most unpopular senators in the country, and they did not run progressive campaigns against them. They ran centrist campaigns. So throwing millions of dollars at uninspiring neoliberal corporatists who oppose popular progressive policies is not a winning formula. The people want progress. They want economic populist policies that will improve their lives. They don't want corporatism. 
they don't want a bunch of elitist Wall Street Democrats. What is your reaction, uh, Pat, to the fact that centrist Democrats in the House are punching left, despite the fact that the electorate clearly rejected their corporatist approach? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 peak hypocrisy when look who they propped up. I mean, you just ran down the list of the, the three of the worst. I mean, they put the most money into Amy McGrath, a literal Trump supporter. <laughs> right. So... So you're going to tell us that uh, our policies are losers when in all the exit polls show that people wanted progressive policy, even in states where Trump won, Republicans voted, uh, supported progressive policy and the down ballot initiatives. I mean, the uh, not down ballot, but the, uh, the the ballot initiatives show that, you know, even Republicans support most of these progressive issues. Um, and, you know, if winning the Senate is really important, you back the other candidates as much as you back these hard right Democrats like McGrath, you know, why, why wouldn't you go for Paul Jean's seat if the Senate matters? You know, it, we're not talking about a primary where it's a progressive versus a, a centrist Democrat. We're talking about a Democrat against a Republican. Um, you know, so for them not to put energy into those campaigns, which are Senate seats, just is as clear as day to me that they would rather a, a Republican win that seat than have a progressive there. Well, and also this follows a cycle that I'm now, I have now woken up to that the democratic establishment, like step one, the democratic establishment spends millions of dollars to stop progressives in the primary. Like, let's not forget how much money they spent to stop, you know, really strong progressives like, like Charles Booker, Booker you know, and they spent, so they, they actually, you know, the DCCC and the DSCC, which runs the Senate they spent millions of dollars in the primary to stop really popular progressive candidates. And then step two, look what happened. We see that they lost House seats and, and the Senate uh, despite outspending Republicans. And then step three, they unleashed, the Democratic establishment unleashes its paid operatives to corporate media and their trolls to social media to punch left and what is, why do they do all this? Because their goal isn't to help the people. Their entire goal is to protect corporate power. Unfortunately, it still works is the problem. Yeah. You know, the, the gaslighting and the, the propagandists out there are very powerful. And, you know, that's how they got Biden in. They, they had a, a dedicated 10 days to before North Carolina voted to uh, um, basically gaslight and fear monger people that socialism is going to lose us the election to Trump. And hammering that drum for 10 days worked. Yeah, I call um, the DCCC the, the bastard child of DNC. And, <laughs> you know, one of the things about them is they actually had a blacklist um, of any progressives daring to run against incumbents. And that was incumbents, period, not just Dems. That was incumbents. Um, so when you create an actual blacklist, um, don't say you support democracy or anything like that. Um, and then in, in 2018, I will never forget this. I thought it was parody. It was not. I got something from the DCCC in the mail that was a sticker and it said, vote Dem. I mean, have you seen the other guys? Hmm. That literally was their slogan. I was like, damn, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Yeah. Like they're literally saying, we're giving you nothing. But, you know, 
we're shit, but the other people are even worse shit. So you better vote for us. I kept waiting for people to wake up in the primary and find and realize that like, you know, after you say Trump is bad a thousand times, like how many more times do you need to say it? Like, okay, we get it. Trump is bad. But but that's not a policy. Trump is bad is not a policy or a vision to move our nation forward. You know, just yeah, yeah, Trump is bad, but that's not going to put food on anyone's table saying that a thousand times. And that's not going to give people health care who lost it during the pandemic. And saying Trump is bad isn't going to solve the climate crisis. So, you know, the Democratic Party has just turned into an anti-Trump party that wants to scapegoat and blame everything on the Republicans. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens now that Trump has been defeated. It's like now they don't have the boogeyman to blame. And, and you know, and now like the Democrats took more money this cycle uh, from Wall Street than Republicans did. So we've got two parties that are bought and paid for by Wall Street and giant corporations. Neither one of them represents the people's interests. And so we're in this massive crises. You know, we, we're, we're with just inequality and the pandemic and the climate crisis and racial injustice. And it's just going to be interesting to see if like the Democrats actually, you know, buck up and actually fight and do something for the people. And if they don't, I think that the midterms in 2020, they're just going to get demolished. Yeah. And I think we're in the, we're in the, the perfect worst case scenario for as progressives, because what we're going to see is two years of gaslighting that because we don't have control of the Senate or uh, a big enough lead in the Senate, we have to push for center right policy. Um, so that the boogeyman will be the Senate. Republicans in the Senate are stopping everything Democrats want to do. Well, and there was a report in Axios yesterday that Republicans uh, likely hold on the Senate is already forcing Joe Biden's transition team to consider limiting its prospective cabinet nominees to those who Mitch McConnell can live with. A source close to McConnell tells Axios that a Republican Senate would work with Biden on centrist nominees, but no radical progressives or ones who are controversial with conservatives. So Joe Biden is not even the president yet, and his team is already caving to McConnell. So every progressive who said that nothing will fundamentally change under a Biden administration was absolutely right. And every liberal and corporatist who attacked us was absolutely wrong. I used to think that Democrats were weak or cowardly for caving to Republicans like this. But now I think they are corrupt and sinister because they serve the same corporate donors as Republicans. So caving to them is all part of the plan. What are your thoughts, Joy, on the fact that Biden is already buckling to Republicans when he hasn't even been declared president-elect yet? Um, we, you know, we saw that during the, the primaries as well. So it's certainly not a shock. Um, you know, you got Kasich, uh, you know, people like that speaking at the DNC uh, convention. You have him saying, um, you know, he's open to to giving. He said he was open to a Republican VP. Right. I mean, he doesn't even hide it. He's just like, um, you know, and he uses the the walking across the aisle as something that's like you know, supposed to be like, oh, unity, when really it's like, dude, you're a Republican, you're not unifying anything. Um, but back to what you said a, a few minutes ago, you know, I think you and I are very similar. Well, and Pat, for that matter, we don't really talk about Trump a lot, because like, literally everyone does. Right. Um, and the Republicans don't owe a shit 
we Dems took our donations. Dem cheated our candidate twice. Dems are the ones who lied to us, manipulated us, and you know, took advantage of us. Yep. They are the ones who need to answer to us. And the fact that people are so comfortable being part of this so-called club and this team who has so many things wrong with them, I don't care if you're a Dem. What I care about is if you hold them accountable because you are the company you keep. And if you say, I'm a proud Dem and they can do nothing wrong, then you're cool with corruption. It's that simple. Yeah. And that's that to me is the big warning sign with the Democratic Party is that and I don't know if it's because, you know, they again, Trump is bad, but, you know, they got so obsessed with Trump that it's kind of made them go delusional because it's like you can't they will not criticize the Democratic Party no matter what. Like the liberals I know and the more centrist Democrats, it's like considered sacrilegious to criticize the Democratic Party, almost to the point of that it's like cult like because. I'm sorry, like if you can't criticize the party, especially when the party is not fighting for the poor and for working class people during a moment of massive levels of inequality, like that's not how democracy works. Like democracy is about criticizing our elected officials. They work for us. You know, democracy is about, you know, demanding better from a political party that calls itself the Democratic Party. You know, democracy is about, you know, it's not about blind obedience. And, and, and just, you know, getting in line and falling in line behind a corrupt party like that is authoritarianism. So as often as Democrats accuse Republicans of being authoritarian, I've just seen this authoritarianism kind of really blossom in the Democratic Party over the last four years. And, and it concerns me. I mean, someone like Andrew Yang, who's nowhere near as progressive as Bernie Sanders, you know, he's much more kind of pragmatic but while he did support some a few leftist policies yesterday this is what andrew yang said on cnn okay he said democrat democrats need to improve their appeal to the working class uh he said in many working class voters minds the democratic party unfortunately has taken on this role of the coastal urban elites who are more concerned about policing various cultural issues than improving their way of life of course rather than take any constructive criticism of the party, liberals went to Twitter and started accusing Andrew Yang of being a racist. I kid you not. <laughs> Why are liberals so incapable of, hand, of handling any criticism of the Democratic Party? Because this, to me, is a big reason why the party keeps coming up short in elections. They'd rather scapegoat and blame Republicans than take any inventory and try to grow the party and expand their coalition. Pat, what's going on here? To me, it's because the, the gaslighting works and it, it doesn't have to work to win elections anymore. It just has to keep the donors happy. And the donors don't want Medicare for all. They don't want a Green New Deal. I mean, you, you look at, at Biden's campaign's closing message for the whole last month. It's that he doesn't support fracking. I mean, right. it's that he, he won't ban fracking. That's their closing message. And I, I get I get how that might play in Pennsylvania, but you know, Pennsylvania didn't have to be the the ultimate deciding state in this election at all. You could have gone and appealed to other voters in other states uh, that, that that message doesn't work with. Uh, but but where I see the party is, you know, they're so far gone that look, we all we all know that politicians lie in the primaries and they lie in the general uh, but 
Joe Biden can't even lie and say that he's going to do things that help that benefit our our people anymore. I mean, the, the donors don't want any any lies out there that he sort of supports Medicare for all, because even though that he would still be being dishonest with the public, that takes Medicare for all and puts it closer to reality mm. because more more people will support the policy. So, I mean, that tells us that tells me how far truly we're gone from the past that they don't even need to lie anymore about supporting popular policies. And how many people are just blindly obedient to this party? It's like they've just they've given in to the party and and just follow the party and whatever Biden says, whatever Hillary says, whatever Tom Perez says. Like I just it just it, it confounds me that people that consider themselves democratic just blindly obey a party that is beholden to corporate donors and, and doing nothing to help the people that it that it pretends to care about. Whatever. We're the cult, Ryan. <laughs> well, you know, you're right. It it does work. And there's there's a concerted effort by mainstream media to misinform or underinform people. Like, you know, the the poll showed that somewhere near fifty percent of Democrats do think that Joe Biden supports Medicare for all. Wow. Which he clearly doesn't, but that just shows you how, it. <laughs> how misinformed people are. Yeah. Let, let's shift the conversation to something happier. Um, your new book, The Yes Queen Chronicles, which is a brilliant parody and political satire of the Democratic Party and how out of touch, comfortable liberals have become with everyday working class people. For our listeners, Joy, who haven't read the book, what is The Yes Queen Chronicles about and what fueled you both to write this book? Um, well, it is uh, basically a culmination of things we've witnessed on Twitter from shit libs. <laughs> um, basically, I was just at beyond a, a low point when Bernie dropped. Um, he, you know, I moved, I left my, my home and my family and my husband in Pennsylvania and moved across the country to Iowa, which I had never been to and only knew one person, um, to live there for five weeks to volunteer for Bernie. Um, and I, you know, I gave every single thing I could, um, knocking hundreds of doors and, and ice and sleet and, um, you know, four degree weather and um, while visually impaired. <laughs> and, you know, I gave everything and I did in 2016 as well. And when he dropped, it just, I was in a very bad place. And then also just going online and watching the treatment of Tara Reid and yeah. how all of a sudden people didn't believe in Me Too anymore because it was against a Democrat. Um, and just the disgust, the pure disgust of the way primarily women were behaving. And they all said resist and blue wave in their uh, bios. So I just contacted Pat one day and I said, you know, and he had been on my my show a few times, but we didn't really know each other. Um, and But I had read his, his first book about Peter Douche. And I said, you know, what would you think about, you know, doing another book, but this time about like shit libs on Twitter? Um, and to my surprise, he was like, what's your phone number? Let's talk this weekend. Um, and it just kind of culminated from there. Um, 
and he had the the genius idea to to make the book um, happen at a forum. So it's a resistance forum um, with all the the greatest uh, you know shit lib anti Bernie anti progressive um, pundits and and so on. Um, Give who, us a little teaser for some of the names because the the your the way you name the characters is just absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, so you got Nancy Pagosi, um, you got Joanne Greed, um, <laughs> Nira Tantrum, uh, Alyssa Shilano, um, Tom Perez, Chris Badviews, um, Soledad O'Lion, um, what else, Pat? Uh, what's his uh, name? James, James Scarville. James Scarville. Yeah. And the hero of the story is uh, Nina Burner. She's like the only only person you can root for in this book at all. Except we do have some special appearances. <laughs> Pat, what about you? What what kind of fueled you to write this book? Yeah, so I mean I I've I run a, a parody on Twitter as well, uh Nate Sliver and formerly it was uh, and I just saw you had him on this week ironically, but in 2016, one of the worst propagandists was Peter Dow. Yep. Um, and so Peter Douche was a fictional character mocking Peter Dow um, back in that time. Which is pretty phenomenal how far pe- it shows people can change and grow and expand. I mean, it, the yeah. fact that, you know, Peter Dow is one of the most vocal opponents of Bernie Sanders in 2016 to, you know, in 2020 when he endorsed and supported Bernie's campaign, it, it and, and the reason I talk about that is because, look, I've gone through my own political journey myself. And I think, you know, it's important as our nation continues down this kind of path of that's unsustainable, that's dominated by predatory capitalism, where the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. And now add in the environmental catastrophes to it, that capitalism is literally, literally destroying our planet and is and is like gasoline to the climate crisis you know, we need more liberals and more centrists and more moderates to start waking up and realizing like, it's okay to evolve politically. It's not just okay. It's what we need to save this nation. We need more people to not just, you know, say you care about poor people or say you care about the planet, but to actually fight and support policies and politicians who will actually, you know, pass policies that will save, you know, people who are struggling, uh, you know, and our planet, which is dying. Absolutely. I mean, and it, and that's that was the purpose of the book is to point out that, I mean, it, it's mostly to bring up the gaslighting that goes on. So, so the the book is is moderated by three of the MSNBC pundits, basically, um, and we did that to show the collusion, more or less, and and the viewpoints and the classist nature that they look at things. Um, so it's a it's a fictional forum that takes place like on a college tour kind of thing. Um, but back to your point, I mean, it is important that we we transition. You know, we, we don't want to be like the centrists are and just not allow a pathway for people to to support you. So, right. you know, people like Peter Dow that I thought in the past were irredeemable, I now see potentially can be can be changed. I mean, when when people open their eyes up to what Bernie supported and what progressives are pushing for, you can't not see it anymore. Exactly. You know, like as in your case, you know, you can't not see when you turn on the news. And this is where being a Bernie supporter 
open a lot of people's eyes is that you see the media effort to discredit and undermine him. Um, and, and it's kind of like watching a boxing match. If, if you're a fan of one boxer, you might not see all the, the, uh, the refs favoring the favoring your own boxer in a sense. So once you're an outsider, which you are when you're a Bernie supporter, you get to see and feel the efforts to undermine uh, your beliefs. So, so I thought this was a good book, a good format um, to bring a lot of that up and, and to display that. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that there is an anti-progressive bias in our corporate media. I mean, that was my big epiphany in the primary. Look, even remember back in when Warren was leading, like who was not even near nearly as progressive as Bernie, when she was leading in the polls in 2019, they cr the corporate media is so greedy and the DNC is so greedy. Like they weren't, they weren't just happy with taking Bernie out. Like they took Warren out too. She was at like 30% in the polls once. And then she, after, they, they attacked her like every day and they fear mongered around Medicare for all. And, you know, she ended up, dropping out. And she also ended up wavering on some of her, her progressive policy principles, I think from a lot of that pressure. But my point is like, you can just be progressive adjacent and the media will still tear you apart. But if you're someone like Amy Klobuchar or Joe Biden, you know, or Pete Buttigieg, who will just continue the status quo and continue the corrupt system and continue to favor Wall Street and, uh, and not support policies that help working people and, and poor people, then, you know, the, the media does everything it can to label those kind of p politicians who will maintain the status quo as decent, right, or compassionate. But if you're a progressive who's actually fighting for real change, you're, you're divisive, you know, or you're, you, you know, quote unquote divisive, I should say, or you're, you know, you're not trying to bring unity. And it's like, no, actually, the progressive movement is bringing unity among everyone who this system is screwing over every day. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, to us, the the absolute biggest compliment um, that we've been getting through and and from Miss Nina Turner herself even said this, it it's that people are finding catharsis in mm. our book. They're not just laughing, but they're being able to put it into perspective, you know, we've all been there where we're online and we see these, you know, hateful people and we want so bad to just be like, F you, you piece of shit, but we don't, but we want to. <laughs> so this is a way because anger, we should be angry and we are angry, but it doesn't change people's minds. So, you know, us taking a, you know, a, a chance with parody to point it out in a way that makes it both humorous and eye-opening um, seemed like a, you know, a good idea. And, and it's, we're being told it's, it's worked. And that's, you know, basically the, the biggest compliment. Yeah. I mean, I'm only about halfway through and thank you, by the way, for the copy uh, of the book. I'm you really bet. enjoying it. But, you know, in addition to being hilarious, there is a lot of depth to this book, you know, because it so accurately calls out the deep classism and elitism, and elitism, not just in the Democratic Party, but in our society at large. You know, I think it, it's easy for people to forget that, like, we live in a time where the divide between the rich and the poor has never been wider. 
You know, income inequality in the United States is higher right now than it was in France just before the French Revolution. Yet classism is never talked about in the mainstream media. So if your only news sources are CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News, then most likely you, you have no idea that 140 million Americans right now are either poor or, or low income. You know, or you, or you, have no, you have no idea that 92 million Americans right now are underinsured or uninsured. You know, the ruling class has so much power over our lives because in addition to controlling both political parties in Washington, they also control our media and our markets. And since they control all the levers of power, it basically allows them to exploit, to dehumanize, and step all over the poor and the working class with zero consequences. And your book kind of unapologetically and humorously fights back against these elites and lets people know, you know, out there who are struggling that like you're not alone and that you're not suffering in silence and that your lives have value and that you deserve to live a life of dignity you know was that your one of your intentions for writing the book to kind of expose the classism and elitism and elitism in the democratic party because i think most comfortable liberals continue to overlook how betrayed working class people feel by a party that claims to represent their interests and then sells them out to Wall Street and the billionaire class. Well, to me, the number one goal of the book is to point out that the media and the Democratic Party um, aren't representing us as it's portrayed. And so when you when when we had discussions in a, in a panel forum is how this works, you know, we we use parody to highlight how little they actually care about the policies that would help people, uh, how they steer the conversations away from, from issues that are sensitive to the Democratic Party, how winning isn't even that important to the Democratic Party. Um, and, you know, these people's lives are, are going to be fine no matter what happens. I mean, if, if you're well off, you're, you're, your way of life does go back to normal a little more if Biden wins. Now, if you need health care, your life is not going to get significantly better. Uh, if you are one of the, I think it's like 50 million people now facing eviction next month, um, Joe Biden isn't going to help you on that at all. And so, you know, the, the saving grace for us should be the Democratic Party. And if it's not the Democratic Party, it should be the media calling out that the Democratic Party is failing us. But it's not the media. The media isn't doing it either. So... You know, the book was a way to highlight all this and and bring up a lot of these things that people who just watch mainstream media aren't aware of. Like a lot of people have asked us, well, uh, you know, some of the stuff you, you wrote in the book is kind of a, absurd. Did that stuff really happen? And everything in the book basically happened. I mean, everything in the book is sourced from real events. I mean, we might have exaggerated the conversations but we didn't have to make up crazy things that the Democratic Party did. We just searched through our, our Twitter feed and history and like, oh, yeah, remember on February 4th when they said if you work with progressive candidates, you're not going to be able to be a consultant in the party anymore? You know, so we had a million instances we could pull from. We just had to craft the dialogue around it in a way um, that would be entertaining and still educate people. And that was the goal for me. Why, why is there this myth still, you think, that the Democratic Party is the party of the people when 
just object, you know, just clear reality shows that the Democratic Party is not the party of the people. It is a party that represents Wall Street, you know, giant corporations and the ruling class, just like the Republican Party is. I mean, both parties are corporate parties, capitalist parties that that do not serve the people's interest. Why is there this myth, though, around the Democratic Party? It feels to me like the media protects the Democratic Party because they know that any left movement, you know, any movement that would bring justice to the people in this country would rise, you know, on the left. And so it's like it almost feels like the Democratic Party is like the gatekeeper or like the big hurdle that stops any kind of progress. And so they kind of paint this illusion of what the Democratic Party really is. And maybe parody in your book is a way, because I, I find liberals kind of clutch their pearls when we tell them this or when they find, if they, they don't want to hear the truth about the party. So maybe parody is the best way to, to, to deliver the truth about the party. What are your thoughts on that, Joy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, when I, uh, in the book, and then also when I dress as my Pagosi and do my impersonation, um, a lot of times I say, you look like a poor. And a lot of people think it's funny, but the reason I'm saying that is because she can't even give us a stimulus, but she's standing there with her matching scarves and masks with Swarovski crystals on them. And she's talking about... Uh, you know, absolute nonsense. And people yes queen her all the time. Um, and I think a lot of it is hubris. A lot of it is denial. A lot of it's willful ignorance. Um, a lot of it is uh, complacency with cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, there there's so many things and, and these things are really a cancer in our country. Um, it's much, much easier to pretend hmm. things are okay. And privileged people do that. Hmm. There is no pretending it's okay when you are about to lose your home and things like that. It's a very selfish thing. Um, I wish people had more empathy. And you learn a lot because if now, like of all times, if you don't have empathy you're a shit person. The problem is the press is, has been able to fear-monger to the level that their core message is Trump is so much worse than whatever the Democrat is talking about, so don't criticize the party because you're going to hurt the Democrats' chance to get Hitler out of office. That's, yeah. that's no, the it's core message. It's, it's vote, for, vote for the Democrats or democracy dies. They've been saying that since I voted for the first time, right. literally. The first election I voted in, celebrities were wearing T-shirts that said "Vote or Die." You know, it's yeah. never like right. it's never like vote for the Democrats so we can build a better world. You know, where everyone has health care and you know housing and a basic income and future generations have a habitable planet. It's you know vote for the Democrats or democracy will die. You know, it's it's always fear mongering, and I think that that keeps people stuck in this corrupt two party system and. Uh, you know, it's like we don't even realize that, like, yes, a better world is possible. But if you want that better world, you got to fight for it. And part of fighting for it is pushing back against a party that that is a lie. I mean, I, that was my big epiphany over the last year. The Democratic Party is a lie. You know, they say they are for the people, but they are for their corporate donors first, foremost. And um, until you accept that, you know, there's not going to be any change in this country because the Democrats will keep getting away with being you know, a little bit, tiny bit better 
than Republicans. And that's not good enough when there's this much injustice and inequality. You know, we can't have the two choices every four years be either vote for evil or lesser evil. Like that's the America will never get good, get better until we can actually vote for better. And the worst thing that uh, Dems could do that they will never do is actually allude to the fact that we the people have power. They right. will never do that because that's them relenting. Um, the more people realize what we are capable of, the more F they are. I mean, just look at how powerful things have been the past few months with people in the street and people with legislation and things like that. Like this movement the past few months has been life changing and has been something we have yet to see in many of our lifetimes. And the last thing the Dems want to do is let us believe that we have that power. Right. I mean, their literal message has been don't protest, vote. Yeah. Like, or if we protest okay. too much, that it will help the Republicans. Everything is like, you know, yes, yeah, shut up and vote blue no matter who, or you're helping Trump. You know, and or right. if you if you demand a if you demand better, then you're a Russian bot. No, it is. It's all fear mongering. And I think once you, you know, for me, once I broke out of that fear, I'm like, forget it. Like, I don't want to vote or die. I want to vote and live in a better world, you know, because I know that a better world is possible. And I just I refuse to back down to a party that is basically selling fear. That's all they're selling is fear, you know, and it's it's it's. That's my hope is that now we can start to fight for something better as more and more people start to wake up to the corruption in both parties. Right. Well, see, what they do so effectively is they have they have a season of strategies. So, you know, when it's an election year, you shouldn't criticize a Democrat no matter what you think about them because we have to beat the Republican. Yep. You know, and then the year after that, you know, they well, we, we held our criticism. Now it's uh, 2021. Well, look, we... We can't get enough done without Democrats in the Senate. So now's really not a good time to criticize the Democrats. We got to win these Republican seats and take them from Republicans. So we have to support the Republicans that back Trump in 2020. You know, the Democrats that back Trump in 2020. So it's this constant cycle of that, you know, and 2022 comes around. Well, the campaign starts so early that we're already in campaign season for 2024 in 2022. So it's this cycle of now's not the time to be, to criticize the party constantly. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that's why I, Ryan, I wish I had your hope that a better world is possible. And I hope it is. Um, but I really don't see anything changing under Biden whatsoever. I think people are absolutely going to go back to brunch in so many ways. Um, and just, you know, try to rationalize and make excuses when kids are still in cages and things like that. It's going to be, well, he's trying to pick up, you know, the pieces from the way Trump left it. And, um, well, do, do you wish Trump would have won? Is that what you're saying? Um, it's going to be a lot of, uh, excuses and things like that again, um, I feel like if, you know, I I worry that people will get extremely complacent again. Being in Pennsylvania and seeing my town, Philly, 
where I'm from, celebrating and dancing because they think Biden's going to win PA. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, you can celebrate Trump might lose, but you shouldn't celebrate Biden will win. Because I feel the same way I did in 2016. I don't want Trump to win, but I don't want Biden to win either. You know, I wish it was someone else. Um, so I can be happy Trump lost, but I'm still not happy that Biden won. Well, I mean, they're basically celebrating nothing fundamentally changing. And that's why exactly. I, mean, I, I think for me, it's like a better world is possible if we fight for it. It's the fight for it part. Like we have to keep fighting and which kind of brings me to my next thing. Like where does the left go from here in your guys' opinion? Do you think we should keep building power within the party or do you think we need to build power outside of the party uh, with efforts like the movement for a people's party? Um, you know, or do you think we can do both? Yeah, I, I fall on the both category, but more outside. I mean, I think it does take a, a few insiders to get some policies changed. Um, you know, the more the more you can build a coalition of actual progressives, if that's if that's even a possibility. I mean, the party has such a hold on on even progressives like AOC that it's difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I fully support movement for a people's party as the best best way forward myself. I mean. You know, I, on policy, I think a lot of us align with the Green Party. It's just that they are completely disorganized. I mean, they end up with what 02 percent of the vote nationally. Yeah. Um, you know, you that's not going to work. We're not. You're not going to turn point two percent of the vote into uh, a winning national campaign. You're just not. So, to me, I mean, the MPP, you know, they might be a lot of flash and branding and not not have built necessarily infrastructure yet. Um, but newsflash Green Party, you need flash and branding and powerful speakers and and you need to sell these candidates as something with some pizzazz. I mean, you look at the Greens and they had Howie Hawkins in his basement by a file cabinet like he should have a red stapler in his hand, you know, every time he was he was speaking on on podcasts and shows and things. And it, it, you have to have some polish. You have to have some something that appeals to populace. And, um, I don't think the greens have the capability of getting there. So to me, I'd like to see a coalition form. Um, and the best chance and the newest thing is movement for a people's party. So I think hopefully they can work with greens. Hopefully they can work with DSA. Hopefully we can get some, you know, ideally we, we get a few of these democratic progressives to, to switch parties to, to something like whatever comes out of the MPP in the future. Um, and that would really help build up whatever that is. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, I've, since I'm in PA, we have close primaries. So um, I had to register Dem again to vote for Bernie. And the day after my vote was counted, I took about 13 showers. And I was so glad to go back to independent um, because I belong to no one. Um, I'm very anxious to see the Dem exit numbers. Um, and I, I, if this doesn't cause a huge Dem exit, I, I just don't know what possibly would. But something that I've often thought about is that, um, you know, when you 
you take Bernie Sanders and you take how he mobilized millions of people, how he woke them up, how he taught them so many things and how he was cheated. And you see all of that. And then you see him come back and he has over a million volunteers and he's winning states and all this stuff. And then you see that nothing still changed. I have no hope for the Dem party. I have no hope whatsoever because I honestly feel not to make him a deity or anything, but the movement was just unprecedented. I mean, I'm not the only one with a tattoo. Like, you know, there's hardcore burners. And, and if he couldn't change it, I don't think anyone can. I really don't believe it. Well, that's why, I, I mean, that's why I got started with helping the movement for People's Party. And I, I also voted green this time for the first time. And I had Angela Walker on the podcast, who is Howie's vice president. And she's, she was fantastic. She's I mean, awesome. she is a, yeah. she is an amazing, amazing advocate for the working class and for the planet. And I really hope that she stays in this fight and she runs for office again. Um, cause I think she's a real advocate and Howie's done a lot of work throughout his career himself. I mean, he, he helped start the green new deal long before AOC, uh, came up with her version of the green new deal. You know, it's just, Unfortunately, you know, organizing outside of the corporate parties is like the most unglamorous and 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 hardest thing to do because the American people have been so indoctrinated. We've been indoctrinated since birth, really, that, you know, you're either red or blue. You're either Coke or Pepsi. You're either Democrat or Republican. And breaking through that duopoly and that binary thinking of people is really hard. But when both parties have been captured Right. When both parties are beholden to, you know, Wall Street, giant corporations and the billionaire class, you know, if you want to talk about saving America, like um, <laughs> both parties this cycle use so much fear and propaganda to control their base that literally each side thought that like if you're a, a hardcore Republican Trump supporter, you thought that voting for Trump was was going to save America. And if you're a hardcore liberal, uh, you know, vote blue no matter who, you thought that voting for Biden was saving America. The truth is voting for, ne like neither of them will save America because the only way to save America is to break the stranglehold that Wall Street, giant corporations, and the ruling class have over both of these corporate parties and our government. Because until we break that stranglehold, both parties will continue to write laws that favor the ruling class and favor the rich and hurt the working class and hurt the poor. So that to me is the big you know, struggle we're at now. And that's why I got involved with the movement for People's Party because Bernie's real hurdle would, is not the general election. I in my heart believe if Bernie ran independent in this cycle that he would have beaten Biden and Trump. But his big hurdle was the Democratic primary. Because they run their primary and both times they rigged it against him in different ways, right? There was even a DNC lawyer who said after 2016 that he argued in court that the DNC can go in a back cigar filled room and pick the candidates themselves, that they are a private corporation and they are not even beholden to the voters. That should have been the first wake up call to people that like the DNC doesn't have our best interests at heart. And then in this cycle we saw right before Super Tuesday, Obama makes a phone call but Bernie was set to win Super Tuesday and, and then win the nomination. Well, 
Obama makes a phone call three days before Super Tuesday, asks Pete Buttigieg, who was doing really well, doing better than Biden at that point in the delegate race. Uh, he got Buttigieg to drop out and endorse Biden, and he got Klobuchar to drop out and endorse Biden and clear the path for Biden on Super Tuesday. And the rest, as we know, was history. Well, that wasn't a form of interference. I mean, Obama should never have done that. And But that's what's always going to, my point here is that's what's always going to happen if we keep sending true progressives and thinking that like, oh, we're going to elect AOC in 2024. Oh, we're going to elect Nina through the, the DNC in 2024. Newsflash, the DNC will do everything it can to not give a true progressive a fair shake in their primary and to do everything it can to elect the more corporate candidate because the DNC's goal is not to help the people. As we, as you said so eloquently on this podcast, both of you, the DNC's goal is to protect corporate power and to protect the oligarchy. And so if we ever want to break the duopoly, in my opinion, the only way to do it is to, is to build kind of Bernie's movement, but not to do it in the DNC where the DNC is going to co-opt it or rig the primary against it, but to build a Bernie type movement outside of the corporate parties. And that's why I got involved with the movement for People's Party, because I do feel like it's our one shot to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if, uh, if people seeing the Democratic Party prepared to hand over the reins to Mike Bloomberg, Oof. if that doesn't wake people up Oof. to what the party's become, I mean, not, not much will. So we have to, we have to build outside of it and, and create a populist brand and movement where we can find the right leader to take this thing. Cause Bernie on his own could have, we need to get 10 more Bernie's out there. What have you guys learned about yourself and what have you learned about America in writing this book? Joy, I'll start with you. Well, as far as myself, I, you know, I lost much of my eyesight last year unexpectedly. Um, and as an English major, I've always loved to read and write. Um, and I haven't been able to read, you know, any books or anything. Um, so I've been doing all audio books, things like that. Um, and I've been writing through audio, like, um, transcript. Um, and you know, it had me really down. I was like, my dream of publishing a book will never happen now. And, um, I'm not capable to, to do it anymore. Um, and then, you know, we found our groove and, um, you know, I did the, the audio writing a lot and, um, then Pat would read things to me, um, and usually multiple times. <laughs> and then we would, you know, kind of edit that way, um, by dictating. And I, I am still like, so completely shocked that I was able to, uh, fulfill my dream of writing a book. Um, and also I'm proud that I didn't give up. Um, so that's, that was the biggest thing I learned. Um, as far as something I've learned about America, I think that, um, I didn't learn, you know, how insufferable shit libs are because that's why we were inspired to write it. But I think I, I learned more that, um, humor can be healing, uh, and that, um, we are going through these things regardless of how we react to them. 
So if we don't laugh, um, or excuse me, yeah, if we don't laugh, we'll cry. Um, so I started kind of looking at things more on that note, um, just because it's so easy to just get depressed and just like, just be done with everything. Um, but once you're awake, you can't go back to sheep. So we know what's going on and we can't change that. So we may as well try to stay at least somewhat sane. Um, and humor is, is a good way to do that. Yeah. I mean, along the same notes, I mean, I, it's my second book, so I, I knew what the writing process was going to entail. Um, but as far as what I learned about myself, I mean, for me, writing the book was cathartic in it, in its own right. Um, and I hope that that's what it what it gives people that read it. Um, as far as America, you know, I've learned just how susceptible we still are as a country to propaganda. Um, you know, we live in a little niche world of, of people that really care about politics. Um, so we may know a lot of the, the things that we wrote in the book and, and what happened and the history behind them. Um, but give this book to a centrist and they're blown away. You know, they just they think the entire book is made up and it's all based on facts. So we have a long way to go to fight the propaganda. And to me, the, the number one way to do it is with, you know, independent media like yourself um, and especially your your format and the, the fact that you have a lot of people that that were formerly centrists or, you know, at least not necessarily Bernie supporters. So they can they can see things beyond Bernie. Um from your platform. And I think that's important going forward is that, you know, Bernie is a hero to a lot of us and, and he will get his voice back post-election. Um, but, you know, he's old and we need we need other leaders as well. We need to not put all our faith in in one man and one movement. I mean, we're a movement outside of him and we need to we need to step up and, and get more leaders. And I think that that was that's Bernie's legacy. You know, he always said it's not him, it's us. You know, he, he, he led this and he, you know, he revitalized the progressive movement in America that had been dead for decades. Right. You know, like at one point we, I think, a lot, you know, one of the things in studying history in the last year for me is when I found out that like, wow, at one point in America, we had a strong socialist party and even a communist party, right. you know, and, yeah. and they actually helped pressure FDR into writing the new deal. You know, one of the yeah. signature pieces of legislation that actually helped working class and poor people in this country. Uh, but then, you know, since that period, you know, the capitalists and both of these corporate parties have worked to, you know, destroy and and sabotage any kind of independent party and and to fear monger around socialism. And and look, the results have been devastating for this country. I think that is the great irony when you finally wake up and you see that like, holy shit, like we shouldn't be afraid of socialism. We should be afraid of capitalism because it's capital. It's this predatory capitalism that has resulted in just two people owning more wealth than half of our entire population. It's capitalism that is destroying our ecosystem and our planet. You know, it's capitalism that is gasoline to the climate crisis, as I said earlier. It's capitalism. It is the greed that is destroying America. Trump was always just the symptom of this greed. And uh, so I just think that, you know, thank you guys for writing this book. And thank you guys uh, for uh, just being, you know, thank you, Joy, for moving to Iowa and doing everything you can for the movement. I mean, that 
is what it takes. And and I hear that it is discouraging that once again, I feel like corporate power won this cycle. But I don't know, maybe it's because I radicalized in the last year, but there's a part of me that says that like, yes, well, a lot of people are going to go back to sleep now. There's so many people like me, like Peter, you know, so many others that have ju- that have woken up. And if we can just channel this new energy and this new fire and continue to build and grow this movement, I do think we can, you know, at some point break this greedy, you know, duopoly that has so much control over our people and over our country and that we can one day live in a nation where there is dignity for all people. And, uh, you know, um, just thank you guys for coming on the show today. And most importantly, where can people pick up a copy of the Yes Queen Chronicles? Um, so go to savageandpat.com. Savageandpat.com. We, uh, we publish it independently, so you're not getting a dollar to Amazon. Also, we have a coupon code right now uh, for Bernie would have won BWH. W, um, and that'll give you $3 off. Amazing. Say the coupon code again. Uh, it's for Bernie would have won. So B W H W. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on Ryan. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks Ryan. Much love. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pat and Joy. And again, check out their book, The Yes Queen Chronicles. And before I go, I also want to read two messages I got from you guys on Twitter. Uh, The first is from Albert Gaza. Albert said, hey, man, my eyes are now opened to democratic centrism and corporatism. I hope that a true People's Party supporting Medicare for All and a Green New Deal can take hold and grow, forcing effective action by our lawmakers. Peace to you and thanks for starting the fire for me. Thank you, Albert, for joining the fight. And also want from, this is from Ian. Ian said, uh, hey Ryan, I just wanna thank you for your podcast. Uh, it's what actually finally pushed me left. Twitter and podcasts can have a bigger effect than you know. Thank you, Ian, for the message. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for joining our fight for justice. Uh, also, uh, we ha- I want to thank our Patreon subscribers who make this podcast possible. Next week, I'm going to thank everyone. Uh, once a month, I thank everyone. But uh, this week, I'm going to thank our uh, VIP patrons who, who support the show and give $20 a month who and make this po- uh, podcast possible. I want to thank Eric Peterson. I want to thank Jean-Paul uh, DeLuca. I want to thank John... Michael DiPardo. I want to thank Susan Sarandon. I want to thank DJ Comatos. I want to thank Elizabeth Kim. I want to thank Shauna Pearson. And I want to thank Patty Cleary. Thank you so much for your Patreon uh, subscription. And if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash proud socialist and support the show for as little as $5 a month. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a great weekend.